Hey everyone, it's Miss Felicia J here and welcome to Love Life and a Beautiful Glass of Red Wine. This is the chapter by chapter episode. Um, I started this podcast because of my sons and the questions that they asked me and the profound conversations that ensued. I wanted to broaden, broaden their minds and so I suggested that they read some of the books that I love to read and the books that interest me. Well, that didn't quite go as I planned, so I came up with the idea of a podcast, reading the books that I've loved, that I love, that I heard about, wanted to read, etc., etc. So here I am reading the books that I feel will inspire my sons, the rest of my children, you, and of course myself. If you have a suggestion, email me at chapterbychapter at gmail.com and I'll put it on the reading list. This episode, um, we're doing something new because last time, um, last episode, we finished The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. So this episode, as I told you last time, we are reading Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. And so we are going to start, obviously, from the beginning. And so here we go um, with part one. But before we start, let's not forget to get our favorite drink because it's always fantastic to sit and read um, along with your favorite drink. So here we go with Jonathan Livingston Seagull um, by Richard Bach. And um, we are starting on part one. It was morning and the new sun sparkled gold across the ripples of a gentle sea. A mile from shore, a fishing boat chummed the water and and the word for a breakfast flock flashed through the air till a crowd of a thousand seagulls came to dodge and fight for bits of food. It was another busy day beginning. But way off alone, out by himself, beyond boat and shore, Jonathan Livingston Seagull was practicing. A hundred feet in the air, he lowered his webbed feet, lifted his beak, and strained to hold a painful, hard-twisting curve through his wings. The curve meant that he would fly slowly, and now he slowed until the wind was a whisper in his face, until the ocean stood beneath him. He narrowed his eyes in fierce concentration, held his breath, forced one single more inch of curve. Then his feathers ruffled, he stalled and fell. Seagulls, as you know, as you know never falter, never stall. To stall in the air is for them disgrace and its dishonor. But Jonathan Livingston Seagull, unashamed, stretching, stretching his wings again in that trembling hard curve, slowly, slowly, and stalling once more, was no ordinary bird. Most gulls don't bother to learn more than the simplest facts of flight, how to get to shore to food and back again. For most gulls, it's not flying that matters, but eating. For this gull, though, it was not eating that mattered, but flight. More than anything else, Jonathan Livingston Seagull loved to fly. This kind of thinking, he found, is not the way to make one's self popular with other birds. Even his parents were dismayed as Jonathan spent whole days alone making hundreds of low-level glides, experimenting. He didn't know why, for instance, but, but when he flew at altitudes less than half his wingspan above the water, he could stay in the air longer, with less effort. His glides ended not with the usual feet down splash into the sea, but with a long, flat wake as he touched the surface with his feet tightly streamlined against his body. When he began sliding in to feet up landings on the beach, then 
pacing the length of his, sli of his slide in the sand, his parents were very much dismayed indeed. Why, John, why, his mother asked. Why is it so hard to be like the rest of the flock, John? Why can't you leave, leave low flying to the pelicans, the albatross? Why don't you eat, son? You're bone and feathers. I don't mind being bone and feathers, Mom. I just want to know what I can do in the air and what I can't. That's all. I just want to know. See here, Jonathan, said his father, not unkindly. Winter isn't far away. Boats will be few and the surface fish will be swimming deep. If you must study, then study food and how to get it. This flying business is all very well, but you can't eat a glide, you know. Don't you forget that the reason you eat, sorry, the reason you fly is to eat. Jonathan nodded obediently. For the next few days, he tried to behave like the other gulls. He really tried, screeching and, flight and fighting with the flock around the piers and fishing boats, diving on scraps of fish and bread. But he couldn't make it work. It's all so pointless, he thought deliberately dropping a hard-won anchovy to a hungry old gull chasing him. I could be spending all this time learning to fly. There's so much to learn. It wasn't long before Jonathan Gull was off by himself again, far out at sea, hungry, happy, learning. The subject was speed, and in a week's practice, he learned more about speed than the fastest gull alive. From a thousand feet, flapping his wings as hard as he could, he pushed over into a blazing steep dive toward the waves and learned why seagulls don't make blazing steep power dives. In just six seconds, he was moving 70 miles per hour, the speed at which one's wings go unstable on the upstroke. Time after time it happened. Careful as he was, working at the very peak of his ability, he lost control at high speed. Climbed to a thousand feet, full power straight ahead first, then push over, flapping to a vertical dive. Then, every time, his left wing stalled in an upstroke. He rolled violently left, stalled his right wing recovering, and flicked like fire into a wild tumbling spin to the right. He couldn't be careful enough on that upstroke. Ten times he tried, and all ten times as he passed through 70 miles per hour, he burst into a churning mass of feathers out of control, crashing down into the water. The key, he thought at last, dripping wet, must be to hold the wings still at high speeds, to flap up to 50 and then hold the wings still. From 2,000 feet he tried again, rolling into his dive, beak straight down, wings full out and stable from the moment he passed 50 miles per hour. It took tremendous strength, but it worked. In 10 seconds he had blurred through 90 miles per hour. Jonathan had set a world speed record for seagulls. But victory was short-lived. The instant he began his pullout, the instant he changed the angle of his wings, he snapped into that same terrible, uncontrollable disaster. And at 90 miles per hour, it hit him like dynamite. Jonathan Seagull exploded in midair and smashed down into a brick-hard sea. When he came to, it was well after dark, and he floated in moonlight on the surface of the ocean. His wings were ragged bars of lead, but the weight of failure was even heavier on his back. He wished feebly that the weight could just be enough to drag him gently down to the bottom and end it all. As he sank low in the water, a strange hollow voice sounded within him. There's no way around it. I am a seagull. 
I am limited by my nature. If I were meant to learn so much about flying, I'd have charts for brains. If I were meant to fly at speed, I'd have a falcon's short wings and live on mice instead of fish. My father was right. I must forget this foolishness. I must fly home to the flock and be content as I am, as a poor, limited seagull. The voice faded and Jonathan agreed. The place for a seagull at night is on shore. And from this moment forth, he vowed, he would be a normal gull. It would make everyone happier. He pushed wearily away from the dark water and flew toward the land, grateful for what he had learned working about working, sorry, grateful for what he had learned about work-saving low-altitude flying. But no, he thought, I am done with the way I was. I am done with everything I have learned. I am a seagull like every other gull, and I will fly like one. So he climbed painfully to a hundred feet and flapped his wing harder, pressing for shore. He felt better for his decision, to be just another one of the flock. There would be no ties now to the force that had driven him to learn. There would be no more challenge and no more failure. And it was pretty just to stop thinking and fly through the dark toward the lights across above the beach. Dark. The hollow voice cracked in alarm. Seagulls never fly in the dark. Jonathan was not alert to listen. It's pretty, he thought. The moon and the lights twinkling on the water throwing out little beacon trails throughout the night, and all so peaceful and still. Get down. Gulls never fly in the dark. If you were meant to fly in the dark, you'd have the eyes of an owl. You'd have charts for brains. You'd have a falcon, short wings. There in the night, a hundred feet in the air, Jonathan Livingston Seagull blinked. His pain, his resolutions vanished. Short wings. A falcon, short wings. That's the answer. What a fool I've been. All I need is a tiny little wing. All I need is to fold most of my wings and fly on just the tips alone. Short wings. He climbed 2,000 feet above the Black Sea, and without a moment for thought of failure and death, he brought his forewings tightly into his body, left only the narrow swept daggers of his wingtips extended into the wind, and fell into a vertical dive. The wind was a monster roar at his head, 70 miles per hour, 90, 120, and faster still. The wind strain now at 140 miles per hour wasn't nearly as hard as it had been before at 70, and with the faintest twist of his wingtips, he eased out of the dive and shot above the waves, the, a gray cannonball under the moon. He closed his eyes to slits against the wind and rejoiced, rejoiced, 140 miles per hour and under control. If I dive from 5,000 feet instead of 2,000, I wonder how fast. His vows of a moment before were forgotten, swept away in the great swift wind. Yet he felt guiltless, breaking the promises he had made himself. Such promises are only for the gulls that accept the ordinary. One who has touched excellence in his, lear in his learning has no need of that kind of promise. By sun up, Jonathan Gull was practicing again. From 5,000 feet, the fishing boats were specks in the flat blue water. Breakfast flock, breakfast flock was a faint cloud of dust motes circling. He was alive, trembling ever so slightly with, the with, his, with delight, proud that his fear was under control. Then, without ceremony, he hugged in his forewings, extended his short angled wingtips, and plunged directly towards the sea. By the time he passed 4,000 feet, he had reached terminal velocity. Velocity. 
The wind was a solid beating wall of sound, against which he could move no faster. He was flying now straight down at 214 miles per hour. He swallowed, knowing that if his wings unfolded at that speed, he'd be blown into a million tiny shreds of seagull. But the speed was power, and the speed was joy, and the speed was pure beauty. He began his pullout at a thousand feet, wingtips thudding and blurring in that gigantic wind, the boat and the crowd of gulls tilting and growing meteor fast directly in his path. He couldn't stop. He didn't know yet even how to turn at that speed. Collision would be sudden death. So he shut his eyes. It happened that morning then, just after sunrise, that Jonathan Livingston Seagull fired directly toward the center of the breakfast flock, ticking off 212 miles per hour, eyes closed in a roaring streak of wind and feathers. The gull of fortune smiled upon him this once, and no one was killed. By the time he had pulled his beak straight up and into the sky, he was still scorching along at 160 miles per hour. When he had slowed to 20 and stretched his wings, again at last, the boat was a crumb on the sea, 4,000 feet below. His thought was triumph, terminal velocity, a seagull at 214 miles per hour. It was a breakthrough, the greatest single moment in the history of the flock. And in that moment, a new age opened for Jonathan Gull. Flying out to his lonely practice area, folding his wings for a dive from 8,000 feet, he set himself at once to discover how to turn. A single wingtip feather he found, moved a fraction of an inch, gives a smoother sweeping curve at a tremendous speed. Before he learned this, however, he found that moving more than one feather at that speed will spin you, will spin you like a rifle ball. And Jonathan had flown the first aerobatics of any seagull on earth. He spared no time that day for talk with other gulls, but flew on past sunset. He discovered the loop, the slow roll, the point roll, the inverted spin, the gull blunt, and the pinwheel. When Jonathan Seagull joined the flock on the beach, it was full night. He was dizzy and terribly tired. Yet in delight, he flew a loop to landing with a snap and roll just before touchdown. When they hear of it, he thought, of the breakthrough, they'll be wild with joy. How much more there is now to living? Instead of our drab slogging forth and back to the fishing boats, there's a reason to live. We can lift ourselves out of ignorance. We can find ourselves as creatures of excellence and intelligence and skill. We can be free. We can learn to fly. The years ahead hummed and glowed with promise. The gulls were flocked into the council gathering when he landed, and apparently had been so flocked for some, some time. They were, in fact, waiting. Jonathan Livingston Seagull, stand to center, the elders' world, words sounded in a voice of highest ceremony. Stand to center meant only great shame or great honor. Stand to center for honor was the way the Gauls' foremost leaders were marked. Of course, he thought, the breakfast flock, this morning. They saw the breakthrough. But I want no honors. I have no wish to be leader. I want only to share what I've found, to show those horizons out ahead of us all. He stepped forward. Jonathan Livingston Seagull, said the, said the elders. 
stand to center for shame in the sight of your fellow gulls. It felt like being hit with a board. His knees went weak, his feathers sagged. There was roaring in his ears. Centered for shame? Impossible. The breakthrough. They can't understand. They're wrong. They're wrong. For his reckless irresponsibility, the solemn voice atoned, violating the dignity and tradition of the Gull family. To be centered for shame meant that he would be cast out of Gull society, banished to a solitary life on the far cliffs. One day, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you shall learn that irresponsibility does not pay. Life is the unknown and the unknowable, except that we are put into this world to eat, to stay alive as long as we possibly can. A gull never speaks back to the council flock, but it was Jonathan's voice raised. Irresponsibility? My brothers, he cried. Who is more responsible than a gull who finds and follows a meaning? A higher purpose for life. For a thousand years we have scrapped over fish heads. But now we have a reason to live, to learn, to discover, to be free. Give me one chance. Let me show you what I found. The flock might as well have been stone. The brotherhood is broken. The gulls intone together. With one accord, they solemnly closed their ears and they turned their backs upon him. Jonathan Seagull spent the rest of his days alone, but he flew way out beyond the far cliffs. His one sorrow was not solitude. It was that the other Gauls refused to believe the glory of fight that, flight that awaited them. They refused to open their eyes and see. He learned more each day. He learned that a streamlined high-speed dive could bring him to, the, to find the rare and tasty fish that schooled ten feet below the surface of the ocean. He no longer needed fishing boats and stale bread for, for survival. He learned to sleep in the air, setting a course at night across the offshore wind, covering a hundred miles from sunset to sunrise. With the same inner control, he flew through heavy sea fogs and climbed above them into dazzling clear skies. In the very times when every other gull stood on the ground, knowing nothing but mist and rain, he learned to ride the high waves, sorry winds, far inland to dine there on delicate insects. What he had once hoped for, the flock, he had now gained for himself alone. He learned to fly, and was not sorry for the price that he had paid. Jonathan Seagull learnt, discovered that boredom and fear and anger are the reasons that a gull's life is so short. And with these gone from his thought, he lived a long, fine life. Indeed. They came in the evening, then, and found Jonathan gliding peacefully and alone through his beloved sky. The two gulls that appeared at his wings were pure starlight, and the glow from them was gentle and friendly in the high night air. But most of all was the skill with which they flew their wingtips moving a precise and constant inch from his own. Without a word, Jonathan put them to his test, a test that no gull had ever passed. He twisted his wings, slowed to a single mile per hour above stall. The two radiant birds slowed with him, smoothly locked in position. They knew about slow flying. He folded his wings, rolled, and dropped into, in a dive to 100 miles, sorry, 190 miles per hour. They drop with him, streaking down, 
in flawless formation. At last he turned that speed straight up into a long vertical slow roll. They rolled with him, smiling. He recovered to level fight and was quiet for a time before he spoke. Very well, he said. Who are you? We're from your flock, Jonathan. We are your brothers. The words were strong and calm. We've come to take you higher, to take you home. Home, I have none. Flock, I have none. I am outcast. And we now fly at the peak of the great mountain wind, beyond a few hundred feet. I can lift this old body no higher. But you can, Jonathan, for you have learned. One school is finished, and the time has come for another to begin. As it shined across him all his life, so understanding lighted that moment for Jonathan Seagull. They were right. He could fly higher, and it was time to go home. He gave one last look across the sky, across that magnificent silver land where he had learned so much. I'm ready, he said at last. And Jonathan Livingston Seagull rose with the two seagulls to disappear into a perfectly dark sky. Now, everyone, that is the end of part one. So, and that's part one, and therefore, where we go next is on page 41. I trust, sorry, I trust that this has broadened your mind and inspired your thoughts or a conversation that has changed your world or entertained you. Whatever it's done, I trust that it has served you because this book and this chapters that we've read, I think are so, or these pages rather that we've read is very profound. And I trust that you see the message in Jonathan Livingston Seagull's experience thus far, that it is okay to be a part of the crowd, but walking away from the crowd may broaden you further, may broaden your mind, may change something profound for you, that you may be able to learn something. And it's sometimes in our solitude and going against the grain that we learn some of our greatest gifts, which is what Jonathan Livingston Seagull has learned so far. But I'm not going to I'm not going to speak anymore because I'm so excited to do part two with you. So I want everyone to remember that your flame, your fire, will always burn. Letting someone else's fire will never diminish yours. It will only create a larger fire. I have so enjoyed reading this book with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tune in next episode for part two of Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. I want y'all to continue and have a great day. I want you to have a fantastic week. I want you to take care of yourself and each other. This is Miss Felicia J. Until next time, everyone. Be well.